Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So both my children run track. And one of the things that I've learned, especially in elementary school track, is that they position the groups that run based on their time. And there are a lot of them. We'll have a track meet with 200 kids running in elementary school. And so a couple of weeks ago, I'm at John Hunter's track meet, and they're running the 400, which is one lap around the track. And they've grouped it, and I believe there were 20 groups, maybe 18 or 19. And you watch the different groups run, and they get slower and slower and slower. And and as you get towards the end, really these are the kids who have never run before, and they're in, in the very early grades of elementary school. And it comes to the last group, and the kids take off. And there's just one little kid that I don't know that running is his gift. And he's slow. And in truth, the other kids are slow. But he's really, really slow. And so the group comes around the corner where I'm sitting. And he's a good, good distance away from them. And then your heart begins to melt for this little guy that he can finish. Like, Lord, help him to finish. And here he comes. Now the other kids in the group, they're already done. So this is the slowest of the slow. But he's not quitting. And he's coming around the bend. And all of a sudden, this man in front of me that I do not know, I hear him say, Son, you can do it. And then he gets a little bit louder. Son, don't quit. Son, I love you. Now my, my eyes might have gotten a little moist at that point. I, you know, and he just keeps yelling, I love you. You can do it. Don't quit. Don't give up. I'm so proud of you. The slowest of the slow. And he continues to encourage him, encourage him with these words of affirmation, these loving words of affirmation until he finally crosses the finish line. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about this man in front of me. He is a picture He is a reflection of the beauty of the gospel. He didn't deny his son. I mean, there's some men that would have said, my son's last. I'm not going to say anything. But no. He is proclaiming his love for his son in front of the entire crowd who is absolutely dead last. He doesn't deny him. 
He doesn't desert him. He is there for him. And I thought to myself, the beauty of the gospel. Because I finish dead last every time. And there is the Father proclaiming His great love for me over and over and over again. And so when we come to this text this morning in Mark, we see the disciples denying Jesus ultimately and deserting Jesus ultimately and they're ashamed of Jesus ultimately and there is Christ going to the cross proclaiming to those who have scattered, I love you. I don't care that you finished dead last. I love you. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word, which never fails us. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us, despite the fact that we run away from you. We're not just simply last. We actually run in the opposite direction. And yet you love us and you call us and your son gave his life for us. Father, may we hear you and you only this morning set me aside for my sins are great. So in your son's name we pray. Amen. So there are three things we're going to look at this morning in our text. He will never desert us. He will never deny us. He will never disappoint us. Our Father is there cheering us on when we do not run the race well. That's who He is, and that is what Jesus has done for us. In the text, it mentions that Jesus says that you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It mentions this in the text. I want to bring this to your attention. It's from Zechariah 13, 7-9. It's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. He's telling them what God is going to do for them and not to lose hope in light of the desperate nature of their situation. I want to read for you the entire passage that Jesus is quoting from. So the prophet says, beginning in 13, verse 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This is what Jesus mentions. I will turn my hand against the little ones, and the whole land declares the Lord. Two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. So in this oracle, the prophet Zechariah is saying to the nation of Israel that God is going to use the sword, that he is going to use something very difficult and challenging to draw you unto himself. He is going to purify you. He is going to sanctify you. And he will be your God and you will be his people. This is language of covenant fulfillment. This is language of covenant blessing. And so what Zechariah is talking about in, a, in shadows... 
Jesus is making implicit. I am the one who will be struck and you will be scattered as was prophesied. And through me, through my death, through my bruises, through my stripes, you will be healed, you will be made whole, you will become my people. And you will receive the blessings of the covenant through me. Through my covenant obedience and my faith and my perfection. I am the fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old Testament. This is what Jesus is telling the disciples as they are headed to Gethsemane. To one of the most difficult moments of his life. I must do this. I must endure this. I must go here for you is very interesting in light of our text. I must do this for you. And then how do they respond to this? Well, we notice what Peter says in verse 28. Even though they all fall away, Lord, people will scatter, people will give up on you, people will run away, people will not desire to continue to follow after your name. I will stand firm. I will never desert you. Even though they all fall away, I will not. And what does Peter do? What does he do? He falls away. Now this is a story that we have read repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. Adam and Eve in the presence of God, in the garden, in perfection, talking and walking with Him. What did they do? They fall away. Exodus 32, Moses is on the mountain. I remember as a child hearing this story in church and thinking, how can Israel be like that? And the reason I thought that is because I don't have the maturity that I have now to know how sinful I am and how quick I am to turn my back on the Lord. Moses is on the mountain and the Israelites begin to to complain. What's going on? Where is our leader? Where is Moses? What's taking so long up on the mountain? You know what we need to do? We need to stop and we need to pray and we need to thank God for our deliverance from Egypt and all that He has done for us, right? No. Hey, let's, let's build a golden calf and let's worship that. That's what we need to do. But in reality, that sounds a lot like me. Lord, I'm really tired of waiting on you. And I'm going to do what I need to do. And so more often than not, like Peter, I fall away. And if you'll remember from last week, Judas, a disciple of Jesus, falling away. And it's a reminder, Judas is a picture of the world. Scholars will tell you, you get a glimpse of the world in Judas, and the world will fall away. But Peter is giving us a glimpse of the church. Remember, Jesus says that upon Peter's confession, the confession of the disciples, I will build my church. So Judas may represent the world and he falls away, but guess what? Peter does as well. And so it's a reminder of the pervasiveness of sin on this planet, that we all fall away. That because of sin, we are dead last in the race. 
I will fall away, Peter will fall away, but here is the gospel truth for us this morning. Who does not fall away? And it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who does not shrink from the cross. Jesus is the one who does not turn away from drinking the cup of wrath. Jesus is the one who marches to Calvary for me and you. He is the one who wins the race. He is the one who finishes the race so that we can as well. Here Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us from Christ and His love. Nothing. We deserted Him. We fell away. He did not leave us. He goes to the cross for us. And because of that, nothing can separate us from His love. He will not desert us. Secondly, He will not deny us. Verse 31, Peter says, uh, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then notice this. They all said the same. So Peter is saying to his Lord, I'm not going to deny you. If I have to die with you, nail me to the cross. I'm willing to give my life for you. And what do we know about Peter? That he denied Jesus. That he ran. This is, a, this is a story that we're familiar with if we go back to the Old Testament. Time and time again we see people in God's Word that deny Him, that turn from Him. Look at King David. Think about King David. He is a mighty king. Israel is at the height of its power in the ancient Middle East. He is called to represent Israel to God. And God communicates and speaks through Israel by King David. The Word of God tells us that he is a man after God's own heart. This great and this mighty king. But when we study the life of David, when we look at the life of David, what do we see? And it's someone who denied God by his actions. His story is one of sin. It's one of betrayal. It's one of murder. It's one of adultery. It's one that is shocking. It's, it's a story that's difficult to deal with. This great and this mighty king who is everything but great in terms of his heart. David's simply a reflection of the rest of us. Yes, David loved the Lord and he confessed his sin before, the God, before God. But in many respects, he denied him. 
And this is us. We see a reflection of ourselves in King David. That we want to do what is right, but more often than not, we do what is wrong. We want to obey God perfectly, but more often than not, we disobey Him. We want our lives to be a shining example of God's grace and His mercy and His faithfulness, but more often than not, because of the sin that clouds our heart, it seems as if we deny Him. And so it's a spiritual struggle. It's challenging. What do we do? How do we resolve this tension between who we are and who we want to be? And the answer to that is King Jesus, the one and the true king, the one king who is greater and who is mightier than David. That King Jesus is the one true, perfect Israelite. That He is the one who gives His life for us. He is the one that reconciles us to the Father. He is the one that adopts us into the family of God. Jesus is the one who is working in our hearts and our lives through the ministry of His Spirit, changing us and molding us and shaping us to be more like Him. So we are without hope apart from Jesus. Our lives are hypocritical. Our lives are sinful. We are not all that we should be. We are running that race and we are at the back. We're dead last. And it's in Jesus that we find hope and we find meaning. It was in Jesus that King David looked forward to the coming Messiah because he knew that this Redeemer of Israel was the only hope that he had. So yesterday we went to the Dixon Art Museum in East Memphis, and we went to look at the beautiful tulips and to take pictures, and it was really beautiful. It was really glorious, all the flowers in full bloom. And we went into the museum. We went inside, and, and I can't say that I'm a aficionado of art museums. That's not my strong suit in life. I prefer a history museum but went and looked around and saw a Monet. I thought that was truly spectacular. And right around the corner from the painting was a sculpture. And I cannot remember the sculpture's, the artist's name, um, but she was very talented and very influential. And I got as close as I could to the glass to see the sculpture, thus making the security guard extremely nervous. And it was amazing, truly amazing, that a human being can take a lump of clay and mold it and shape it and form it to be so lifelike. It was only about that big. And the reason I put my nose almost against the glass because I was overwhelmed by the preciseness of this sculpture. It's one that she had done in honor of her uncle. Truly amazing. And as I was standing there looking at it, as the security guard is hover, hovering over my shoulder, 
it dawned on me what it means for God to mold and shape us to look more like King Jesus. We're just a lump of clay. And that He's working on us. And that He's perfecting us to look more like King Jesus, the one who did not deny us. That He goes to the cross for us. And it's a truly amazing thing to me that I am being made to look like Him. That He was willing to drink the cup of wrath. He was willing to experience God's judgment for us, our punishment for sin, so that we might dwell in His presence forever, our older brother. It is an unbelievable and awesome thing that Jesus did not only not desert us, but He did not deny us. That He is going to the Garden of Gethsemane and that He's going to the cross for us. He's not going to turn His back on us. Despite our sin, despite our failure, despite our rebellion, despite all that we have done wrong, there He goes. Three, he will, not, he will never disappoint us. He will never desert us. He will never deny us. He will never disappoint us. Look at verse 33 again. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not de- deny you. This is Peter. And then, it's just a very short sentence, but the implications of this are tremendous. And they all said the same. They all said the same. Peter, I will not deny you. Peter, I will not leave you. Peter, I will die with you. But then all the other disciples echoed his words. Do you know what that had been like for Jesus? What did that feel like for Jesus? That in this difficult hour, as he's the cross is right around the corner, that all of his disciples that he's poured his life into leaving. And at the very end, we only find John in the presence of the cross. These men that he's been with for every waking moment. They say to Him, we're not going anywhere. We won't leave you. We love you. We support you. We care for you. We have your back. And in the moment of trial, they desert Him. They deny Him. They do not want anything to do with Him. How disappointing for Jesus. How disappointing for Jesus. And maybe in your heart of hearts, you're saying to yourself, how could they do that? But we would have done the same thing. And we continually do the same thing. We disappoint Jesus. And here's the great news regarding who He is. He never disappoints us. He never fails us. He is true 
all the time. Here, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So amidst this great disappointment, amidst the disappointment of the unfaithfulness of God's people throughout all time and all places, Jesus goes to the cross. And in Hebrews it tells us, for the joy that was set before Him. Think about your heart. Think about your sins. Think about how often you have disappointed Jesus. And He is going to the cross with joy. Because of you. That is how much Jesus loves you. That is how much He cares for you. I am going to experience this physical torment, which let me tell you again, as an aside, that's not the main point of the cross. I think for some reason we make it the main point of the cross because it looks just awful. Nails in your hands, nails in your feet, cat of nine tails, whipping, being thrown up there naked and mocked at. That's secondary. What is primary is that on the cross, Jesus takes the punishment, excuse me, the Father takes the punishment of all those that belong to Him for all time, an eternal punishment, and He says, here you go. And on the cross, Jesus takes that cup that I've mentioned And He drinks it. He takes on all of our punishment forever. All of God's people. And then at that very moment, the Father looks away. That is the grand significance of the cross as He's hanging there atoning for your sins. It's awful. We don't even, we can't even comprehend because of the eternal, infinite aspect of his atonement how awful this truly is. And he suffers it there in a moment for us, for God's people. He knew that was coming. He didn't turn aside, he didn't desert us. He didn't deny us, and He certainly did not disappoint. He goes to the cross, He goes to that punishment for the joy that awaits Him. The joy of the praise that He will bring the Father as He leads God's people into His presence, and the joy that He receives knowing that His people now belong to Him. That we have union with Him that we have hope in Him, that He is our older brother and we are adopted into His family and then He can turn around and give us all the benefits that He has earned because He has been obedient to the point of death. 
That is who Jesus is. Not something to be taken lightly. This is how much He loves you. I am going to endure this for you. More often than not, I'll be honest, I come through these doors on Sunday morning. I get here long before you do. And, it's, and this is part of the reason why I need this every week. I come through those doors and I feel like a failure. I feel like I've disappointed God. I feel like I have not followed Him like I should. I feel on some level like He's upset with me. I'm not all that I should be. I'm a sinner. And then the gospel just comes and just reminds me that that's wrong. That for the joy set before Him, Jesus gave His life for me. He pursued me. He redeems me. He has saved me. I am His. I am different. I'm a child of the living King. That is what Jesus has done for you. You are not a disappointment. And you should never be disappointed. Because He is your older brother. Who, for the joy set before Him, goes to the cross. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our God and our King, we thank You that You love us so deeply, Lord Jesus. That You are cheering for us. That You sing over us, that you proclaim your love for us, that you are not ashamed of us, that you are not disappointed in us, that because of your cross, Lord, and the joy set before you, we have hope. We have everlasting, living hope. Lord God, help us to understand who we are in you and what it means that we are children of the King. Lord God, thank you for your word and thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.